0: Welcome back to the horrors. Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Shay. Another episode, here we go.
1: Another classic, summertime classic. I know what you did last summer. Do 1990- you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do, bitch. Wow, could you imagine if that's what the note said? I know what you did last summer, bitch. <laughs> I feel like that was probably
1: something that got spoofed in, like, Scary Movie or something like that. They just keep, like, (laughs) unfolding the note, and it just keeps getting, like, more grotesque as it goes on. I feel like this has been spoofed a lot. I don't know that it's been spoofed in that way, but it would be funny if it was.
0: Dude, I always knew that I would get none of the humor in the Scary movies franchise, but now I feel like I could actually go back and watch them and appreciate the humor.
1: That should be an episode, or even just, like, a live
0: (laughs) watch of you just being like, oh, (laughs) I I get it. For April Fool's Day, maybe.
1: Yes. So we are doing I Know What You Did Last Summer, which is based off a book. I do remember reading the book when I was a kid. Like it was like a beach read in like
0: fifth grade. I did read the book because if you recall, one of the early ideas for this podcast. (laughs) Do I recall? (laughs) One of the early ideas for this podcast after the Victorian literature moment was, well, maybe we'll talk about horror movies versus the books because I was still digging my heels in. So I read two books in preparation of that Amityville Horror, and I Know What You Did Last Summer. And I Know What You Did Last Summer, the book, it's from the 70s. And I can see how at its time, it was new and spooky and and creepy, but it was not very good. But it's also so small, you could get through it in a day.
1: Yeah, and... From what I understand, the plot of the book and the plot of the movie are completely different.
0: They are nothing alike.
1: It's very loosely based off the book by Lois Duncan. And she does not like the movie, unsurprisingly, (laughs) which I'll talk a little bit about afterwards. But the screenplay is by someone we know well on the podcast, Kevin Williamson, who wrote Scream and The Faculty.
0: Yes. Well, so this is kind of different from those films.
1: Yeah, because The Faculty and Scream are both pretty genre referential, but he actually wrote this screenplay before Scream, and Scream came out in 96, so the year before this. And because of the success of Scream, he was allowed to make this. He was given like the green light to make what you want. And everyone saw this as a major step down because it obviously isn't as smart, quippy, anything like that. But I do think it kind of has that charm. I think that something Kevin Williamson does well is writing realistic teenagers. And I do like the teenagers in this movie, particularly. I
0: I agree. And also some pretty great actors, Yeah, like that have appeared in things before this movie and kind of went on to have really stellar careers and even a marriage. So like, it's kind of neat that it ended up aging well in regards to the cast.
1: Yeah, so we'll go through the cast. So our two main ladies are Julie James and Helen Shivers, (laughs) which I love. Julie is played by Jennifer Love Hewitt. She comes back for a sequel, I Still Know What You Did Last (laughs) Summer, which Elise and I watched together a couple months ago. Yeah. Very funny. It was a treat. Jack Black is in that. Jack Black is in that movie. (laughs) It very much is a treat. She's also on Ghost Whisperer and Criminal Minds, and she won a Favorite Horror Actress and Favorite Female Newcomer Award for this movie, as well as a Teen Choice Award. And then Helen Shivers is played by Sarah Michelle Gellar, Mm. who... Buffy the motherfucking vampire slayer, of (laughs) course. And she's also Daphne in Scooby-Doo, the live action. She is in Scream 2, as we might recall from our collaboration with the horror show. And she's also in the Grudge franchise. So lots of horror roles for Sarah Michelle Gellar. And then the two guys that are in the movie, Ray, is played by Freddie Prince Jr., which Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince Jr. met on set of this film and later got married in 2002, which, fun fact, was the year that Scooby-Doo came out.
0: I love that so much. So they were, like,
1: dating on that set. I thought they met on that set, but no, they met on this set and were already dating, like, playing Daphne and Fred, which is, like, so cute to me.
0: It's like a couple's Halloween costume, but the most magical version of that. It's like not only are they Daphne and Freddie in that movie, they are in the fucking movie and they are starring in that role. Like they are embodying such power couple goals.
1: So true to life. And then Barry, who is played by Ryan Philippe, who got the role because Reese Witherspoon auditioned for Helen and didn't want it. (gasps) But she's like, oh, but you should have my boyfriend for Barry. (laughs) And that's how it worked out. And then another little piece of just like fun trivia before we get into the plot. Jennifer Love Hewitt had just starred in a movie with Jamie Lee Curtis that year as well prior to filming this movie. And they were both filming different movies, like their next projects, in North Carolina at the same time. So this was filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina, which a lot of movies are filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina. Scream was, or at least one of the screams were. But Jennifer Love Hewitt said that Jamie Lee Curtis came over to their soundstage to wish her luck on her first horror film and gave her a big hug as like a good luck because obviously Jamie Lee Curtis is a scream queen that we all know and love from Halloween. So I just thought that was very cute.
0: That is very cute. And I believe Jennifer Love Hewitt is 18 years old in this movie.
1: 18 or 19, something like that. Yeah,
0: she's like a little baby. Well, let's get into it. Yeah. How do we open? We open, it is a dusky evening. We get some really cool establishing shots of like the cliff faces of, I guess, North Carolina. Although I don't think these shots were filmed in North Carolina. Everything but this
1: shot and the cliff shots were filmed in North Carolina because North Carolina is too flat. So they (laughs) needed something that had a little bit more edge to it. So they filmed all of that cliffside set in California Mm. and everything else was in North Carolina.
0: Yes, and these magnificent cliffs are overlooking the ocean. It's very scenic. Slowly, we zoom in on a young man sitting on the edge of a cliff, drinking pretty heavily, and then that's it. The scene cuts out.
1: Yeah, he sees some fireworks going off, and he looks up, and then that transitions us to the 4th of July Croaker Festival. happening in Southport, North Carolina, which is where this is set. And we are now in the Croker Queen competition, which is a beauty pageant of sorts for the women of this small fishing town. And something I was laughing at was like the age of the contestants. It's a wide range. It's a wide range (laughs) (laughs) of contestants. It is not just like the young teens. It is You got some moms in there. I
0: guess that maybe that's supposed to, again, emphasize how small this
1: town is. Because one of the women that is standing next to Sarah Michelle Geller, who is in the Coker Queen competition, is a contestant the next year when she comes (laughs) back and she's the one singing in the talent competition. Like they bring her back. Like it's like, if you don't win one year, keep coming back. You might
0: win (laughs) the next year. Yes. We see Helen. She comes in, does her thing, and she wins.
1: Well, first, there's like a scene in the balcony which we're introduced to Ray, who is Freddie Prince Jr. Barry, who's Ryan Philippe, and then Julie, who is Jennifer Love Hewitt. And they're all supporting their friend, Helen. Barry is dating Helen, and Ray and Julie are dating. And they're having conversations about Helen's ample breasts. Fine. But (laughs) this is there only for Julie to be like, wow, can you like cut down on the sexism? Like she's just giving very like Sunday school energy in comparison. And she will continue to give Sunday school energy like in her characterization. She's got
0: to be virginal. She's our final girl. Exactly
1: that. The guy running the competition asks Helen, like, part of this competition is because it's like a St. Teresa's whatever. It's about like serving your community. So what will you do? And she goes on to say, I'm gonna go to New York and be a famous actress, and through art, I shall serve my country. <laughs> and it's just so
0: fucking funny. Cause then she fucking wins. Um, have you ever been in a pageant? Because I think you should with oh, that you delivery. Think? Thank you. <laughs> um yeah she wins and the crown that she gets is so big it's It's, very like bratz doll yeah like gaudy so we cut to julie and helen
1: walking around i guess the after party at the pier helen gives a comment about like fuddling with her hair and she's like hey it's all about the hair don't you forget that which don't you forget that it's gonna become very (laughs) fucking important later i also wrote down what is julie wearing who knows That's a question I have a lot is like, what is Julie wearing? (laughs) It's so inconsistent because sometimes she's wearing these like diving Vs with lacy camis with these, you know, sheer cardigans over and then like low rise jeans. What the
0: fuck are those called? Oh my God. What the shrugs?
1: Yeah. Yeah. With like a shrug or something like that. And then sometimes it's literally like. She's wearing, like, a floor-length long skirt with
0: no skin showing. It's just, it's so inconsistent. That one scene, she gives very much beach grandmother vibes. Like, you know how there's, like, a trend going on right now? Like, dressing to your best, like, beach grandmother life. I've seen it on TikTok. Like, dressing like a beach grandmother and acting like a beach grandmother is for everybody. Not just beach grandmothers. But she embodies some of this.
1: But then we're introduced to Elsa, who is Helen's sister. And I said the name was appropriate because boy, is she one cold
0: bitch. (laughs) Yeah, she's kind of the worst. Is the little Miss Croker getting sauteed tonight? What the fuck? Yeah, isn't she? What else is she in? Because she looks so familiar to me. Like I feel like she's in something else and she plays a really hot person.
1: I mean, she looks like she plays mean, hot girl. Like -hmm. that seems to be like what she would be good at because this is what she's good at in
0: this (laughs) movie. So after the run in with the Ice Queen, Julie, Ray, Helen and Barry all drive down to the beach to celebrate the 4th of July and Helen's awesome win, which I just think their names are so funny. Barry's last name is Cox, by the way, which I love. Great. I Love it. (laughs) Of course it is. First, they get to the beach and they're there. Helen and Barry are talking about their future together and the babies they're gonna have. And then off to the side behind a rock, Ray and Julie are, you know, seem like they're gonna get it on, but Julie is much more, you know, she's like, I'm going off to college and, you know, you're gonna fall for some like tatted, pierced, emo girl which i don't even know what that's supposed to mean it's because he's going to new york that's why it's literally it's just like you're
1: gonna fall for some buzz-cutted tattooed <laughs> pierced girl who reads Camus or some shit like that and he's like yeah what's wrong with that
0: <laughs> anyway do they end up having sex they do end up having okay, sex so they do have sex and then when the night winds down they all pile back into barry's car barry is too drunk to drive so ray says all right i'll drive What do we have? Julie riding shotgun and then Helen and Barry in the back. And as they're driving along the highway, right on those rocks that we had seen in the opening of the film... Barry is the most annoying fucking person ever. He decides he's going to stand up through the sky roof. He's yelling. He's being distracting. I mean, granted, Ray was already very distracted and wouldn't stop looking at fucking Julie the Mm -hmm. whole time, which one of my biggest pet peeves when I watch movies is... Look at the fucking road. Look at the fucking road. (laughs) Now, it works in this movie because I think it's meant to make us uncomfortable. But sometimes if you're watching like a romantic comedy... It's like, this is making me very uncomfortable and very much taking me out of the moment. Let's just fix our eye contact ratio here, okay? (laughs) But anyway, it works here, right? We're getting the rising tension. And next thing you know, Barry drops his fucking beer through the sunroof. It gets all over Ray. Ray's not paying attention to the road. All of a sudden, Julie, I think, yells. No, Barry yells. Barry. Oh, yeah. That's right. He gets, you know, he's got the best fucking view in the house. He does. He's yelling, watch out! Just as a figure kind of materializes in the road, a man... Ray cannot stop the car quick enough. He hits the person. The man rolls up over the hood, over the windshield, over Barry's body. <laughs> okay, which got his physics of this. Yeah. yeah. Also, it's kind of cool. And then the car, of course, comes to a stop. Barry's face is bleeding from where he was hit. And then they're kind of left to figure out what just happened.
1: Yeah, so they get out of the car and Julie discovers a bloody boot. Because up until this point, they're like, oh, it was a deer. It was fine. It's fine. It's whatever. You know, they're trying to like. Oh, I wrote, it's giving squeaky boots
0: episode of Spongebob Squarepants. Yes,
1: <laughs> it really is. <laughs> they discover the body. The girls want to call the police. The boys don't. And this is where we get some like sociocultural context where it's obvious that Helen, Julie, and Barry come from money and Ray does not. Mm. Because we get a quote from Ray saying, listen, I don't have the family or money to get me out of this. Mm. So you could tell like he comes from a family of fishermen, he is more working class where the rest of them seem to have more opportunity. You know, Helen's going to New York to try to be an actress, Barry and Julie are going to the same university, Barry for football, Julie on academic scholarship, where Ray is this person was like, if this happens to me, it will ruin my life, but it won't ruin yours. So that's what kind of convinces Julie to be like, Okay, fuck, we might have to just try to cover this up. And this plan is put to quickness and haste because a character named Max pulls up. And we were introduced to Max at the peer party. Max likes Julie, but Julie is with Ray and Barry does not like Max. They had a tussle, whatever. So, like, hard feelings. Barry doesn't really like anybody. That's right. <laughs> Barry is, like, not a very likable character, period. He just is, like, a hot head, rich, at least he's consistent, tank top wearing <laughs> yeah. dude. He wears so many tank tops, yeah. so many white tank tops. <laughs> So as Max pulls up, they hide the body, they feign their car being fucked up because Barry was drunk driving, Barry's pretending to puke over the guardrail, Max offers to help but Ray and Julie kind of shoo him away and then he sasses Ray and drives off. But they decide to drive the body to the dock so that the current can take it out to the
0: ocean so hopefully they can just cover this up and never speak of it again so dark but they enact that plan but of course right as they're about to throw this anonymous man's body over the edge he comes to grabs at helen gets her crown in his hand right as he falls into the water as he slowly sinks but like holding the crown above (laughs) the water as it like slowly sinks in this kind of like melodramatic moment But, you know, obviously, it's not over yet. Now he has this crown. Only one bitch in the town has that crown. Mm -hmm. So Barry goes in to retrieve the evidence. He has an underwater scuffle with the gentleman down below in the depths. But he does get the crown and leaves the man just kind of like sinking. That was my question. Like,
1: is the body weighted? Did they weight the body? Because he literally is like standing on the floor of the ocean and not moving.
0: Yeah, it does appear to be, like, an unnatural way for a body to be. I don't know, but he's left there, and I guess we assume that he dies.
1: Right, so Barry gets out of the water... And this begins my Barry, why are you screaming question, (laughs) because he is always screaming incriminating information very loudly into the night. Like that is something that Barry does as a character. He is trying to get everybody to agree to never speak of this again, to never tell anybody about anything that happened. They all are making a pact. And he's like, just screaming. He's like, Helen, you fucking say it we didn't kill anybody. Like, I'm just like, why are you yelling, sir? He grabs Julie by the throat. And is like, you fucking say it. Like, he's very aggressive. And I read in an interview with, I think the director, that part of the reason that Barry has to fly off the handle as often as he does is because Ryan Philippe was only 5'10". And really? Yeah. He's a short dude. Well, dude Sanders. he's a short dude and the way he's written is meant to be a lot more like big aggressive and Ray's a lot bigger than him in right? the book his character is like a jock and so is he he's supposed to be like a quarterback but he's a very skinny scrawny yeah. dude So they had to like make him play up the aggression so much so, so that he actually seemed intimidating because he's like shorter than every other dude in the film and he's a small scrawny guy. So he had to be so over
0: the top with the aggression so that it got across that he was like serious. I don't know. I think it worked. He seemed pretty serious to me.
1: Yeah. But they all agree to never speak of it again. And the next thing we see is a one year time jump. We're in a college dorm Julie looks like shit. <laughs> um, this begins my Julie wash her hair arc <laughs> because she just has these bangs that are so segmented and greasy looking. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, just get some dry shampoo, girl. You're fine. She's arguing with her roommate as to whether she wants to go back home for the summer or not. But eventually she does. Her mom greets her back in the fishing town. And I'm like, again, what is she wearing? She's wearing like this weird... <laughs> I don't even know because it's not even like it's a sun hat because it's curled up. It's and it's not even like a cowboy hat either. Oh. Like, what is this fucking hat? She's wearing like a muumu. <laughs> like, what are you? What the fuck is going on? Anyway, she's having dinner with her mom. Her mom's trying to ask about her semester. She's not answering. And she, her mom's just like,
0: are you on drugs? Julie says, no, mom. She's in her emo era. Which I think is interesting that she teases Ray about, you're going to end up with an emo girl. Yeah. And then she kind of becomes an (laughs) e-girl. Yeah, she does. (laughs) But her mom is like, oh, by the way, you got a letter. Here it is. And Julie opens the letter. It has no return address or anything. It's pretty vague. She opens it up and it says, I know what you did last summer! Exclamation point. Which is so funny to me. Yeah, The exclamation point is so fucking funny to me. Because it goes from slightly threatening to sorority. To like, "Like, I know
1: what you did last summer. I know what you did last summer. I know what you did. I I know what you did last summer. I
0: want to be, like, did they have a discussion about this? Like, I feel like there shouldn't be an exclamation point. It softens it. I don't know. Maybe exclamation points were different in the 90s. I also like that you
1: could read the sentence and emphasize a different word each time. It's like, I know what you did
0: last summer. I know what you did last summer. I know what you did last summer. It also, like, reminds me of how... (laughs) <laughs> there's that joke that when women send emails, like, they always add too many exclamation points because they're trying to sound nice. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of that, like, some chick wrote this and she's, like, too afraid of sounding harsh, <laughs> even though she's trying to blackmail somebody. She's like, I'll just add this exclamation yeah, point. Yeah, some production designer is like, oh, let me just say Honestly, this like, thing me, if I ever try to blackmail someone, I'll yeah. be like, I'll just add this exclamation point. I'll just point. make it a little
1: sweet. <laughs> I'll just I'll make it a little sweet.
0: So the next thing we see
1: is Julie looking for Helen or Helen's contact information from her sister, Elsa. And Elsa is running the family store appropriately called Shivers, which is like the perfect nautical <laughs> beach town store name, whatever. And Elsa's being bitchy and she's like, oh, Helen doesn't have a New York number. You should check fragrances on aisle five or whatever the fuck. Like, she's <gasps> such a bitch. But- Obviously, we get some contacts that New York didn't pan out for Helen. She's come back to the hometown. She shows Helen the note, and then they go to see Barry. And I said, again, with the yelling, because- And the tank tops. And the tank tops. And the tank tops. He's like, Barry, we murdered someone. He's like, don't you fucking say that! And I'm just like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, just just inside voices, Barry. Inside
0: voices. (laughs) Yeah, right away, Barry suspects Max, who again was that acquaintance who passed in his pickup truck that night a year prior. And also in this discussion, Julie fills everybody in that the man they killed is this guy, David Egan, who she read a couple weeks after the incident had washed up on the shore. So she's pretty convinced, you know, that must have been the guy that we killed. They go to the docks and confront Max. And Barry is so over the top, as always. He grabs like a massive fishing hook or even like a utility hook. I don't know. That could pick up some... We are not fishermen. We are not. (laughs) We are not. (laughs) But he threatens him with this hook nevertheless. And they also run into Ray. Also wearing a tank top. The boys love tanks. The season of the tanks. So Helen
1: and Barry make themselves scarce, and Julie fills him in about the note. And Ray, you know, is perceptive, is like, oh my goodness. But you could tell Ray's trying to get back with Julie. They have broken up. Helen and Barry have broken up. It's been a year. They've obviously gone through a collective trauma together. And Ray's like, hey, I know you blame me for what happened because I was driving. It's okay if you do. And she's like, I don't blame you, but I don't want to know you either. (gasps) Which is like... That's a powerful line. It is because it's like the idea that you could go through something so profound with somebody and that person, no matter what they've done to make it right, could just be a reminder of all the bad things. Mm. And that's something that I even like said on the beach scene. The relationship between Barry and Helen and the relationship between Ray and Julie are very different, but they're both realistic for teenage relationships because you have Helen who's like, Oh, you're going to graduate college and I'm going to be a famous actress and you're going to get me pregnant and we're going to have three kids and whatever like that. And then you would just have Ray and Julie who are having this like, you're going to forget about me and you're going to do this Aww. and you're going to fall for some other girl. And he's like, but there's no girl like you. So I like how realistic it is in the fact that they're like reuniting and having this conversation. She's like, listen, like you remind me of bad shit and I don't want to know you. But the next scene that we see is... Max, he's working, he's throwing crabs into some boiler or whatever, and he is attacked with that hook that Barry had threatened him with earlier, and he is hooked through the jaw, the bottom of the jaw, and dragged over the
0: boilers. Yeah, it looks uncomfortable. It doesn't look like it's a fun time. No, but also kind of like a, I can't believe I'm saying this, but also kind of like a cool kill. It is, yeah. Just because of the way like it mimics like a fish. Mm-hmm. Like he's flopping, it's yes. yeah. like very disturbing, but also on theme. Mm-hmm. Which a lot of this movie is on theme, which is nice.
1: It does not forget that we are in a fishing town, everybody. No. It's like
0: every beach house you go to that's like, do not ever forget you're at the fucking beach. <laughs> <laughs> it's like sit on this wicker, look at every picture of this wave, like you're at the fucking beach. You're at the
1: fucking beach. Look at Seashells these seashell handles. Everywhere. <laughs> but yeah, if you're in a beach house, you're gonna be fucking reminded there's an ocean nearby. The next scene I wrote is Barry and his Napoleon complex go boxing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he goes boxing. He's doing his Barry thing. He's fit. He's cool. Can we talk about these showers? Did you notice these showers?
1: Why does it look like somebody took the inside of a shipping unit and made (laughs) showers out of it? It is ribbed metal. That's probably what they did for the scene. I know, but I'm just like, (laughs) rust? It's water. You're in a shipping container and you're taking a shower. And that that is this scene. I'm like, what the fuck is this bathroom? It's okay because
0: they're at the beach. You're
1: right. I'm just – I just was upset. (laughs) Life is so
0: easy and breezy at the beach. I was just upset. (laughs) But please continue. So after he gets out of the shipping container shower, he gets to his locker and finds a picture of his car with the note, I know, on the back of it. As he's leaving, he's then ambushed by the same figure, I guess, that had assaulted Max. He has stolen Barry's car and he drives it into him through a fucking wall. But then the scene fades to black.
1: I hated the fade to black. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah,
0: I was like ready for something to happen to either get him out of that or for him to perish. He also does the horror
1: movie thing that I hate. If a car is chasing you and you're running in the middle of the road, like run anywhere else. (laughs) like run behind a telephone pole run somewhere a car can't get you but he's like no I'm gonna think I can outrun my fucking Corvette like what the fuck is going on if anybody would do that it's Barry you're right Barry would think he would be be able to do it but I'm like literally run everywhere else (laughs) but the road thank you Julie and co arrive at the hospital Barry is alive he's just maimed he's got like a broken arm some scratches on his face Julie and Ray are like sick of this shit they're like listen we gotta go to the police somebody's coming after us like what the fuck is going on where Helen's like, I want to track David Egan down. I want to find out like who his family is. I want to know like if they're doing this, like we should just do whatever. So then cue an Egan research montage and Helen and Julie find out that David Egan had a fiance named Susie and they got into a car crash two years ago. So the year before the accident that they caused on the 4th of July. And in that car accident, Susie died. and then. Egan turned up dead one year later. So they think that they killed David Egan, who was visiting the crash site of his fiance's death. Okay, this is going to get more complicated. So we'll talk it through because it gets a little convoluted. But essentially, they think they killed a man named David Egan, who killed his fiance by accident in a car crash a year before their accident.
0: Yes. And that's who we saw on the rocks drinking at the very beginning yes, of the movie. Yes, lamenting over his lost love. Yes, clearly lamenting. So Helen and Julie go to find David Egan's family. Yes, and they meet with David's sister, Missy, at the Egan home. This is when Julie has her beach grandmother moment, okay? So if you watch this movie, keep an eye out for the long, wispy skirt and the loose, like, light-colored sweater. It's, it's horrible. horrible. It's <laughs> Shay does not want to be a beach grandmother. I do not. (laughs) I do not. So Missy explains to the girls that their family obviously was very saddened by David's death. It was devastating. But a friend of his, a friend of David's named Billy Blue, also visited to pay his respects in addition to these two girls who pose as former classmates, I believe.
1: They get into the house by saying their car broke down and they need the phone to call AAA. And that's where they get into a conversation about the brother. Something that I noticed is that Missy said like, yeah, Billy Blue came to visit and we were sweet on each other for a while. And when you find out who Billy Blue is. Wait,
0: what? How did I
1: miss that? There's a line of dialogue where she was like, Billy Blue, you know, came to visit to pay his respects and we got... We were sweet on each other, and then I think that I was too much of a reminder of his lost friend, so then we just, like, lost touch.
0: Okay, we will return to that, because that is so interesting. I know, because when you find out who Billy Blue is, it doesn't
1: make a lot of sense. I think it does. Well, it might make sense, but it's strange nonetheless. But either way, once they are armed with this information, they make their exit. So now they are under the impression that whoever Billy Blue is, is avenging his friend David Egan's death.
0: That night, Helen returns home after an exhausting day. She, you know, looks at her dad. He's watching TV on the couch. They don't really have an interaction. But as we see her kind of walk down the hallway and then round the corner to go upstairs, we see that a man in a rain jacket has just crept into her bedroom. So whoever the fuck the villain is, is in her house. So she gets into her room, undresses. We have a very voyeuristic moment here.
1: Well, Elsa comes in with the most hyphenated insult of the century. I can't with Elsa and her sass. Elsa comes in because there's like a jump scare where she thinks someone's behind her and it's Elsa, boo, whatever. Elsa's like, hey, is the washed up, dried out has been having a moment?
0: And I'm like, (laughs) wait, honestly, that is something that my brother would totally say to me.
1: It's because she's like looking at her like pageant photo or something like that. Yeah. and she was. But it's just like she says it like it's like the most off the tongue type thing. Is <laughs> the washed up, dried out has been having a moment. And it's like, <laughs> and then, you know, she's saying to Helen, you need to be at the store by 10 a.m. tomorrow because we're doing inventory. And she's like, I can't because I'm riding in the Fourth of July parade. And because I'm the outgoing queen, I have to be there. There's nothing I can do about it. And she starts brushing her hair. And she's like, you and your hair. It's so very pathetic. Do we think something's going to
0: happen with the hair, audience? I think something's going to happen with the hair. It happens the very next morning. Helen wakes up and realizes that her hair has been chopped off in a very haphazard way. Oh no, a symmetrical bob. (laughs) Whatever are you going to fucking do? When she gets up to look in the mirror, she sees that somebody has written soon in lipstick on her mirror. She freaks out at her reflection and the note punches it.
1: I think I also just have some beef because there's been a show that I've been really into recently where there is a pageant princess character who does chop her hair off and it's in a much more realistically like devastating way and like the fact that Sarah Michelle Gellar is given a symmetrical bob it is still shoulder length hair everybody and we're made to believe that this is the most devastating thing in the fucking world. (laughs) Like, she's not shaved bald. Like, there's nothing going on. And she's on this parade later on. And we're meant to be like, oh, like, what happened to her? And it's just like, a bob. Oh, no. Like, it's just so fucking ridiculous. And I'm sure- It still looks really good. It still looks really good. And that's the thing. Maybe it's because Sarah Michelle Gellar put her foot down. It's like, hey, no, I still need to be marketable. I'm not going to cut my hair that much. But it's still (laughs) like, it's hard to believe that between Barry getting run into a pier with a car (laughs) and Helen getting a bob cut, that there's
0: similarly devastating events. (laughs) I'm, that's it. I'm just. It's all good points. It's all good points. But we know based on her dialogue, you know, that hair really matters to her. So I guess maybe this villain is trying to hit him where it hurts. He's trying to get Barry by overcoming him physically, mm-hmm. which is definitely a burn for him. And he's trying to get Helen by overcoming her vanity. So I guess he's done his research. So Helen obviously calls Julie right away and tells her what happened. So while Julie drives to Helen, she hears a noise coming from her trunk. So she pulls over, opens it up, and finds Max's corpse wearing Barry's jacket covered in live crabs. This feels like a Mad Libs. (laughs)
1: Barry is wearing what?
0: A stolen jacket. (laughs) I'm
1: sorry. Max is wearing what? A stolen jacket covered in what nautical animal? Crabs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but this is the Mad Lib that comes to life here she obviously freaks the fuck out and she goes and runs to grab the others by the time they get back and she opens her trunk again to show them the body and the crabs are gone logistically how this shit is broad daylight and that is a big logistical question i
1: have about all of this movie because there's a lot of action that happens in broad fucking daylight during the heaviest tourist season of the fucking year it is the fourth of july So, like, this dude, which we're going to henceforth call the fisherman, like, the antagonist Mm. is called the fisherman. Mm -hmm. The fisherman's doing all this shit. And granted, like, you're in a fishing town, so you walking around in some boots and a slicker doesn't look mysterious. But the fact that you're moving bodies and doing all of this shit in the broad fucking daylight in a beach town is, like, you can establish the town is small or you can establish there is a devious murderer. I don't think you can have both. In the daylight. In the daylight. (laughs)
0: Well, this is where I have the iconic moment where Julie, fed up with all of the games, stands in the middle of the street, (laughs) arms open wide as if she is bringing on a rainstorm (laughs) in a dance, spins around in a circle and says, what are you waiting for? (laughs) What else does
1: she say? Well, she says something like, There's somebody watching us and he's waiting to strike and Oh yeah, <laughs> he's gonna do this. So he's out there, he's listening right now. Like she's getting really <laughs> skitsy. She's getting really unhinged and then she does the the spin. The spin cycle in the middle of the street and is like, What are you waiting for? Q Ellie <laughs> Golding coming in. You to love me like you do. Oh, uh-huh. And a little trivia about this scene, and this is from IMDb Trivia. One scene shows Julie at her breaking point, twirling around and asking the killer what it's waiting for, even though he's nowhere to be seen and it looks like she's talking to the air. When speaking to US Weekly in 2018, Jennifer Love Hewitt revealed that the iconic scene was a kid's idea. That scene was actually directed by a kid who won a contest to come on and create a moment for the movie, <laughs> and it became the biggest part of the movie. She said she has no idea where he is now, but that she wasn't thrilled about the idea of the scene at first. He's like, I want her to stand in the street and turn around and just scream, what are you waiting for, huh? Love Hewitt said, I literally was like, are you kidding me right now? This is what I'm going to do? Okay. And then it turned out to be a great idea.
0: I can't believe that that was the brainchild of like some kid. I mean, part of me can, but also the other part of me is like, did he read the script? Like, was he envisioning like this storyline or was he like, no, this is what we're going to do.
1: And it's just great because she does it again in the sequel.
0: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) she does. She really does. So yes. Okay. So after iconic scene, they confront Rey. Barry is just like, you're gonna die. Yeah. How does the blame get put on Ray? I think because Max is dead and- Oh, and he was the only other person that would have known. Yes. Okay. And this is where we have the worst fake punch, Mm -hmm. like ever. There is a brawl between Barry and Ray, but then things eventually calm down and everyone agrees to stop accusing each other because that's obviously not getting them anywhere. Julie decides that she's going to go back to visit Missy, see what other information she can gather there. And then Barry is going to kind of escort and protect Helen as she goes to participate in the 4th of July parade. And this is where we see a shift in Julie's character development because
1: Ray is saying to Julie, he's like, listen, we can just run away. Like we can forget about everything. He's like, let's just not worry about it. And Julie's like, I'm not interested in doing what's right anymore, Ray. I want to do what's smart. And this is like a big shift from the beginning where she's like, oh my God, no, we have to call the police. We have to do this. We have to do that. And now Julie has this sense of vengeance. We see her growing up a little bit and being like, no, like this person's coming after me and I'm going to stop them from coming after me. So yeah, the next thing we see is Barry and Helen in the parade. I'm like, who let Barry on the float looking like that? I guess he...
0: not good no like he's still like injured from being driven through a wall like he is totally bringing down the fourth of july vibes
1: scratches all over his face in an arm cast he's wearing (laughs) some like weird open shirt type situation and khaki pants like he's all one tone and he's just sitting on the front of the float like like looking like hard and shit while like helen's up in a fucking
0: clam oyster thing like Mm. waving and i'm like who let barry on the on the float he doesn't need to be on the float Well, he sees a man in a slicker, Mm -hmm. okay, and he jumps off the float, goes to tackle this man, and it turns out that it was just an innocent old guy in a slicker, because it's a fishing town, and that's not an unusual outfit. So we're back to square one there.
1: Julie arrives back at Missy's with a yearbook because she wants Missy to identify Billy Blue. I did appreciate that when she pulls up to Missy's and goes looking for her, the song Where Did You Sleep Last Night is playing because it has a lyric that says, my girl, my girl, don't lie to me. So it's the idea of, of, you know, Julie's lying to get this information out of Missy. She doesn't want Missy to lie to her. Anyway, I just thought that was a very nice soundtrack moment. Missy advances with a bloody knife.
0: Okay and Helen's sister are definitely like characters of interest for a while. Turns out she was just cutting fish because are we in a fishing town? Just wondering. <laughs> On theme. We said it. We meant it. <laughs> but
1: in this conversation, Missy reveals that David Egan has killed himself over the guilt over Susie's death. And that's what the family has chosen to believe. And Julie's like, well, how do you know this? And she's like, well, I got a suicide note. And she shows her the suicide note. And the note says, I will never forget last
0: summer. And it's written in the same iconic, incredibly neat handwriting that we have seen on all of the threatening notes all throughout the movie. So this is where Julie realizes and tells Missy this is not a suicide note. This is a death threat. Yeah,
1: she says that like, no, that note was a threat. And then Julie's just like, we hit a guy last year. She spills the fucking beans oh, she's to <laughs> Missy, right? She, she's doing all of this shit. She's like... No, listen, we ran over your brother last year. He was in the middle of the road, and we hit him, and then we put him in the river, and we're sorry, but like he didn't kill himself, and Missy like wants nothing to do with it, because Julie's like, listen, no, I saw the tattoo. He had a tattoo of Susie's name on his arm. I saw it. I know that it was him, and Missy's like, he doesn't have a tattoo. You didn't see anything. Get the fuck out of here. And this is where Julie comes to the realization, we didn't kill David Egan.
0: It was some other fucking guy. It was another guy. Who may have been the one that killed David Egan. The fisherman, mayhaps. So back at the pageant, Helen is forced, well, I guess not forced, but like as the reigning queen, she must sit upon the stage as the pageant goes on. So she's ready to pass down her crown. So as she's sitting on the stage, watching all of the other performance moments, She looks up to Barry, who's on the same balcony he was at the beginning of the movie, and she sees the killer come up behind Barry and start to murder him. Immediately, she starts screaming. She is rushing down the
1: aisle. You know what this scene reminded me of, though? What? Scream 2 with Dewey on the other side of the (gasps) glass from Gale yeah, and like she sees what's happening, but can't do anything. Mm-hmm. It, it gets giving very much that with Helen and Barry
0: right now. And but usually, you would think as an audience member, if you saw somebody run down the island scream and point that something was going wrong on the balcony above you, don't you think like everyone would look at the balcony instead of everyone going to get in her fucking way? Yeah, and be like, no, just stop. You're hysterical. Mm-hmm. Okay, a moment where nobody acts the way that they should be acting. So she's subdued and a police officer is assigned to escort her home.
1: This is also very scream too, because Helen is being driven home in the back of a police car. And we remember that Sydney Prescott and one of her roommates were being escorted back home in the back of a police car yes. Oh my! when God. shit goes wrong. So again, a very nice overlap here. Again, we have another shitty cop where he's like, oh yeah, let me guess. The guy has a hook for a hand and he's doing this, like rehashing like the urban legend <laughs> aspect of it. But they pull up and they see a guy who's having car trouble. So the cop stops to help, but it's the fisherman.
0: It is. And the police officer is quickly killed by the fisherman with the hook up through, I guess, like the rib cage. Another very uncomfortable death. And then he starts pursuing Helen. Helen gets out of the back of the police car and she runs to the family store. Okay, her sister conveniently, thank goodness, is there closing up. She is able to knock on the door and get her sister to open up the door and then, of course, relock it. So she's safe for a second. They realize that Elsa still needs to go and lock the back door. So Elsa goes and does that, but it's too late.
1: The fisherman attacks Elsa and carries her on a hook throughout the store, which is like a scary visual And then Helen is, like, looking for her, and there's a bunch of, like, mannequins with, like, plastic wrap over them, and the fisherman is, like, posing as one, so that's a little scary. Jumps out, attacks her, Helen discovers Elsa's body, then she gets into this elevator, I'm like, what the fuck is this dumbwaiter situation, where she's, like, standing on a platform and then just pulling a rope and she's going up, I'm like, what actually is this? It
0: must have, like, the building must have been, like, an old, like, manufacturing facility before it got turned into a store, and, like, the old dumbwaiter thing is still there. So she
1: pulls herself up to the second floor, then jumps out a window into a dumpster. And then we think everything's going to be okay because we have this like swelling music. And she's running through the alleys and she sees the fireworks. And she's like running toward this parade where civilization is. For some reason, she just like stops and turns around and looks and like pauses. And then when she turns around again, the fisherman is there. And because the fireworks are going off and then there's a nighttime parade happening... Helen's screams are drowned out as she's being killed literally 10 feet from safety. We see a great aerial shot of the fisherman, like, stabbing Helen. There's, like, paraders marching, like, literally 10 feet from her. And she was so close to being safe, but
0: she is killed definitely a sucky kill because she came so far and she made like smart decisions in her like escape plan so it's really unsatisfying
1: (laughs) also during this scene we see julie discover that Susie's father's name is benjamin willis and that he is a fisherman so he is now suspect number one for being the fisherman because as we know David Egan is dead and we are now looking for somebody else. So we think now that Benjamin Willis is Billy Blue or we don't know, right? But we think that Benjamin Willis has something to do with it because obviously a father would be very upset if another man killed his daughter in a car accident. So Julie finds Ray, tells him about Ben Willis and comes up with this theory that Ben killed Egan and then we killed Ben. But then it is revealed as Julie is looking at Ray's boat and the name of Ray's boat is Billy
0: Blue. So right away, her whole theory seems to be tipped on its side because she thinks that Ray must be the culprit after all. So she gets freaked out. She starts running away. Ray comes after her but gets clotheslined by a friendly bystander who's like, I don't know what's going on, but he was after you. She's like, thank you so much. He's like, there's a phone in my boat, go call the police. She gets on the boat and as she's looking for the phone, she sees that the walls in the cabin are all covered with pictures of the teens and newspaper articles about them and Susie. And she realizes that she has fallen into a dastardly trap.
1: The man advances and says, kids like you should be out having fun, you know, drinking, partying, running people over, getting away with murder, things like that. And we see from a shot that he has left Ray on land, but has pushed the boat out to sea. And we also see the name
0: of the boat is Sweet Susie. Uh, So this is her daddy right here. Yeah. He chases Julie below deck. And this is where we kind of have our final girl circuit. As she's sort of escaping him, she ends up opening up like an icebox where like fish would be kept, but instead she finds the dead bodies of her friends. At least Helen and Barry are there. And Ray, in the meantime, comes to and gets a motorboat and heads out to follow sweet Susie and rescue Julie.
1: Chase scene, anything remarkable here? I mean, Ray ends up on the boat and they end up having a tussle. Ray is then knocked off the boat, dragged by a net, and then he climbs up the net (laughs) of the boat. Like, there's just a lot happening to Ray right
0: now. He's putting in the work, though.
1: He's putting in the work. Ray saves Julie by throwing a metal hook at the fisherman. And then during like the major fight sequence, the fisherman tries to attack Julie, but gets his hand caught up in some ropes. And then some Pirates of the Caribbean shit happens <laughs> where he's like shoved up and like dragged up by the ropes and then gets his hand chopped off. And then he falls into the water. And I wrote down a new ending to the urban legend because throughout the movie, they're talking about this hook man urban legend and what the ending actually it is Like, what's the scraping? Is it blood dripping on the top of the roof of the car? Is it the feet of the boyfriend being hung by the tree? Like, Mm. is it the scratches of the hook? And now it's like, oh my god, this guy like lost his hand, and he might now actually have a hook for a hand. So it's kind of realizing this idea of the urban legend, which is so funny, because we watched urban legend together. And that's like a (laughs) huge part of the beginning of the movie, which makes me want to cover it more now. But like, (laughs) yeah, the next thing we see is everyone back at shore and the police are there. And Ray and Julie are reminiscing of like, oh, we never actually killed anybody. Yes. And they're like, we don't know why this
0: man came after us. They find his hand, but no body. Yes. Very, very scary. But cut to a year later, Julie is thriving. Her bangs are voluminous and clean. (laughs) She is back in college in Boston and she enters the shower, like the locker room, and right away notices the words, I still know, written in the steam on the shower door. Moments later, a dark figure crashes through the door and Julie screams and the film ends.
1: Which will turn out to be a fake out because Julie (laughs) is very much alive in the next movie. Yeah, and that's the end of the movie. What'd you
0: think? I like this movie. I think it's fun for the summer and it's from the nineties and it's got a good cast. So I enjoy it. It's got some cool moments to kind of balance out the annoying moments, but it's like a pretty light load. If you're looking to watch a horror movie, that's not going to absolutely destroy you.
1: Yeah, it's not even really very visceral or bloody at all, which is very interesting considering the author of the book, Lois Duncan's, critique of it. So Hmm. she has notoriously hated the slasher reinvention of her relatively nonviolent YA novel classic from 1973, and she didn't hide her hostility from the media. She said she was outraged on how bloody Williamson made her story. Despite being there very little visible blood in the film, I think the bloodiest thing we get is Max's death. In the film? Yeah, because you get him dragged over the thing. And then when Elsa dies, you see a splash of blood on the glass. But like, otherwise, it's
0: not very bloody at all. Yeah, it's not bad
1: but her outrage is said to have stemmed from the murder of her 18 year old daughter and that case remains unsolved so i would understand if you know you wrote something and you have a bunch of just like i guess in her eyes needless violence Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't enjoy that take very
0: much yeah obviously that's absolutely traumatizing
1: because i think what in the book barry's shot but survives and then julie gets like hit by something but survives like no one dies in the book
0: Yeah, I don't think they do. The villain turns out to be almost like Max's character. Like the sort of neighbor Mm -hmm. that really just wants a chance with the leading lady. Right. It's not as sinister. Like it doesn't have like that deep almost inception like plot that you think it's one thing, but it turns out to be deeper. So that thing you said about Missy mentioning how Billy Blue and her were sweet on each other. I was like, oh my God, rebound. Julie probably went to college. Mm -hmm. Ray was feeling guilty. We're, of course, meant to assume that he went to see Missy, maybe finding out the same information that Julie found out in the article. He wanted to go pay some kind of respects because he was feeling guilty. So maybe they did have a little fling, you know, because they weren't together and she was in Boston. I think it makes sense.
1: (laughs) I guess I just can't think of like the guy point of view where it's like, I killed your brother and I'm going to fuck you. You know what I mean? Like, it's just
0: like... What is that thing that I just watched that that was, like, the absolute... Well, Prom Night is very much like yes, that. Yes! Prom Night! It's, that's what it was! It's, like, literally, that's yes. Prom Night with
1: fucking... Yes. I I killed your sister. I killed your sister, but I'm gonna fuck uh, you. Yes. Like, it's just like, what the fuck? Like, I just can't <laughs>
0: think of doing that sometimes men have this idea that and we've seen it in these two examples, like they think that their like physicality is the ultimate gift. right. So like even though they've done wrong, like it's okay, I'll just sleep with you and everything will be okay. Mm-hmm. It's like no. <laughs> That's not quite it.
1: But the only other piece of trivia, it's not even really trivia. So Prime Video released a TV series by the same name in 2021. So there is a show on Prime Video called I Know What You Did Last Summer where there's six friends instead of four. Oh, have you seen it? No, I have not watched it. I've heard things about it Hmm. in terms of what it's replicating is only like a finite thing, but it's a similar situation where a bunch of teens are covering up something that they did and I've heard so-so things about it, but there is a TV show. So if you really liked the idea of this movie, and this movie, I feel like is something that I feel like we've referenced a lot on this podcast, whether it be like the idea of they pulled out I Know What You Did Last Summer where they <laughs> do a pact or whatever like that. Like it just has a very special place. Like it has its own space carved out in the shitty slasher genre where this is part of the reason that slashers kind of had their reboot in the early 2000s is because like you had Kevin Williamson doing Scream and then you had this coming out with the stars like Jennifer Love Hewitt and Sarah Michelle Geller and Pretty Prince Jr. So it's like this has a place of even if it's kind of like shitty in retrospect now at the time was like oh wow because jennifer love hewitt was like the it girl at that time so Mm -hmm. it's like it had a really special place in revamping the slasher genre so if nothing else i'm glad that it's still being emulated in 2021 through a tv series if it it, even if it's good or bad but maybe (laughs) we'll have to check it out i don't know
0: so yeah there you have it our episode on i know what you did last summer If you are interested in reaching out with any recommendations or suggestions for movies for us to cover or ideas for the show, please feel free to email us at thehorrorspodcast at gmail.com. And also feel free to follow us on Instagram, also at thehorrorspodcast. That's where we post our updates, polls, things like that, that you can interact with.
1: And until next time, we're the horrors. Bye. Bye.